Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 73 for Monday, July 18th, 2016. folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians here, back in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Las Gatas, California, it's Paul Kent. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? Um, yeah, I'm good. I feel, uh, I feel like I played about three gigs uh, in a row, and <laughs> that's, that's how the jet lag works. Wait, I mean, well, it's not too bad. It's easier coming back from Europe than it is going over, uh, at least I'm finding but, uh, yeah, we got in about nine o'clock last night, which was what, two, two three a.m. or something. Yeah. West, west to east is like when I was doing those cross country trips, west to east is always way easier on your body. East to west is just brutal. Oh, see, I find it the other way. You like, just said west, you said coming back from Europe, that'd be west to east, right? No, that that's east to west because like Boston. East I, to west. I'm sorry. I'm okay. sorry. You're, my brain. <laughs> I'm upside down. Yeah. Wait a minute. Um, you're, yeah. you're supposed to be the one holding it together, man. <laughs> but the flight, like from, from uh, Boston to California, the flight is longer. Yes. Right? So it's going to be six, six and a half hours. Yeah. But you do get time back and your body can figure out what to do. But when you go and you lose those three hours. Yeah. I remember when I was doing those business trips, pretty much I would be done for a week. I mean, you go, I would take a red eye, you go, you get off the plane and uh, you go right to work. Yeah. And, you know, your body doesn't know what time it is and then it catches up to you and it takes you about a week to recover. We, uh, we found we, cause that's what we did to, to London, which is not all that much longer of a flight than, I mean, it's, you know, it, it was whatever, I don't know, six hours or something like that, six and a half hours. So not a lot long enough to get a night's worth of sleep, especially when they feed you dinner and then breakfast, you, you know, it's like, well, now it's now your time, your sleep time is compressed. And we landed at whatever eight in the morning and had to deal with, you know, immigration and customs and all the stuff that you got to do. And then we got to our apartment, um, which was great. We did Airbnbs and um, the nice part was the guy who we rented in London, rented from in London, you know, check-in time is supposed to be whatever, two or three in the afternoon. And I said, look, we're good. Can we drop our luggage off at like 10 or something? He's like, you can check in at 10. I don't care. Like, oh, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> so the hardest thing was not taking a nap uh, right away when we got there. And so we, you know, we kind of shopped and went out to lunch and then came back. And I think we all slept for about an hour or two. But th- then we like settled in. It was OK. We, we did all right. And uh, it was a great apartment. Great. Neighborhood. All right. So I go ahead. Oh, so I purposely didn't ask you the, any questions about this when we were kind of prepping here. But I've got to get a scoop on your Abbey road studio tour. This is, this is amazing. The picture that you posted with the piano, you know, just totally piqued my interest. Take me through it. What was it like to walk through those hallowed, ha- hallowed halls? It, well, you know, so it, it started when basically when we got to our apartment, our apartment uh, that we rented was three blocks away from Abbey road studios, um, which is a decent, se- I mean, actually it's a, it's a very nice section of London, like, you know, really expensive cars up and down the sidewalk. So safe neighborhood and all that stuff, but it was actually the cheapest three bedroom apartment we could, we could find in London. So that's why we wound up there and it was nice enough, you know, it was good. But as we're driving in, you know, we had to drive across the crosswalk, the, 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 the you know, the famed crosswalk 
And uh, and it's a disaster driving through it because there's always tourists trying to get their picture taken and, you know, right. all that stuff. And you cannot – there is no way that you could live through the process of having your picture taken from the right – from the correct angle, uh, the same one that the Beatles did. There's a camera in the street from the reverse angle that will take your picture for you and then you just go and get it off the web. Um but uh, but but there's always people trying, and and so there's just people in the street, and it's a big mess. But you know, we're driving in. It was like, oh crap, there's the studio, and yeah. Uh, yeah and so um, I had because um, because of his connection. So Giles, uh, th- th- let me let me let me reverse this because we talked a- enough briefly about it that now I'm confusing our listeners. So um, Giles Martin, who is the son of George Martin, who is the producer of the Beatles, uh is he works part-time for Sonos, the speaker company. And so because of that, I'd gotten to know Giles over the years um, because I've covered Sonos for a long time. And he's their chief sound architect, I think is, is his title there. And, uh, and so, yeah, so he invited uh, my family and I to, uh, to take us on a tour of, of Abbey Road studios. And we got really, I mean, that alone puts us in the category of really, really lucky uh, it just so happened that the day that we picked, uh, which really all happened at the very last minute, there was no one recording in the studio that day, in any of them that day. They were doing an event that night uh, where a band was actually playing in Studio One, the huge room. So they were setting that room up, but no one was in any of the three studios there, which meant we could go in them. So we got to do this tour that... Um, it just would be unheard of on any other day because, you know, it's a working studio. Those rooms are paid for and booked and you can't just tour people through, um, even if you are Giles Martin. But uh, but that day he could because they were setting up Studio 3 for him. He had to do some mixing later in the week. And then Studio 1 and 2 were being set up for this event. Uh, studio 1 was where there was a big stage. And, and, and let me ask you a couple questions yeah. first. So. Um, is Abbey Road Studios privately owned? It, at one point in time, was owned by EMI, I think. Is that right? Yeah, and it it, it was. It was EM. In fact, it was EMI Studios until I think nineteen seventy or seventy one. It was it was renamed to Abbey Road after the album came out, um, and and the album made that studio popular with that name, and so they renamed it. But it was always EMI Studios. And then now it's Universal Music uh, owns the studio and. Uh, has evidently been pouring tons and tons of money into it and really making it, you know, continue to thrive, which is a good thing. Um, Cause there's not a lot of studios, you know, left and in, in operation like that. Right. Right. Yeah. right. So, yeah. So, uh, but you know, a lot of the old tape machines and stuff, I mean, we just started walking down the hall and like off to the side was this tape machine. He's like, Oh yeah, this is, you know, one of the ones that my dad would have used, you know, to <laughs> record the Beatles. And he was showing us oh, how, yeah. the, how the heads worked. Yeah. But it's like that. Well, I mean, Giles is, he's the nicest guy in the world uh, anyway, but especially when you consider, you know, kind of what he grew up with. Right. I mean, it, it, you know, he, he name drops, but not intentionally. It's just, these are the people he knows. So when he talks about how he was testing the mic on his iPhone and recording Paul McCartney that way, it's, you know, it's just how he did it. It doesn't happen to, you know, it's not that weird for him. Um, (laughs) it's, and you know, so, uh, so yeah, so he pointed out some of that stuff and then we, we walked into, uh, it was him and his, his assistant, Greg kind of took us on this tour and, and they walked us into, then into the format of the studio, the same as it's been, it's always been three rooms. Yeah. Studio three is the newest of them, but, but it's where revolver was recorded. So it's not that new, you know? Yeah. And, uh, 
And so, yeah, we walked into three and then the control room of three. The only place we didn't get to see because someone was mixing there was the control room of studio two, which is um, if you've seen pictures of the Beatles recording, there's the studio where the control room was upstairs. And and that is the, the that's the control room we couldn't go into. We were able to go into studio two with, you know, and that and the stairs are there and all that stuff. But um, but we just couldn't go into the control room. Uh, Got it. Yeah. yeah. All right. And tell me the truth. Were you half expecting you're going to turn a corner and run into somebody that you really would love to run into. Yeah. But, but I was until we found out that no one was there that day. <laughs> uh, but yes, otherwise uh, I was, uh, you know, and there's, and the funny thing is, I mean, we had, because of where we were staying, uh, you know, that we went to Abbey road, what the third day of our, our trip. So we had already walked past this place enough that we already had gotten sick of the crosswalk. Um, in so much as that it's just not a functional way to get across the street. Cause you're always waiting for someone to take their picture and then cars to come by and all this stuff. So we would, it, it, even on the first day I, I said to Lisa, I'm like, I wonder when we're going to like, not want to like when the novelty of crossing, this is going to, you know, uh, be deprioritized. And it was even that first night coming back from dinner, the kids were ahead of us and they turned away from the crosswalk and they're huge Beatles fans. It wasn't like they were like, Oh, mom and dad, like they, they were, my kids were, arguably more excited they got about it. the tour than, than I was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, um, so we'd walk past it a bunch and there's always people there. And the thing is there's a little gift shop, but that's it. You like the public cannot go into these studios. All you can do is see the gift shop and the crosswalk and yeah. there's 24 hours a day. There are people there. So when we went in to do the tour, there's gates that say thou shalt not pass. And, you know, we walked up to the gates and started to pass and there was a guard there and we explained to him what we were doing. He's like, yeah, no problem. Come on in, you know. And, uh, and then, you know, there's, there's a dozen people behind us. They're like, well, we want to come too, uh, you know, and, uh, the guard's like, yeah, but you don't have an appointment. They do. And that's, now, it's all good. Now outside at the crosswalk, how many people would be lined up there? Hundreds? No, we never saw hundreds, but we were there during the week. You know, we arrived on a Sunday and left on a Friday, so we were never really there over a weekend. Uh, but it was always a dozen, at least. But but this was at any time of day. It didn't matter what time of day it was. It's just, it's you know, I mean, it it shows you how important that is to people. And, and I'm one of them, uh, you know. And people taking their shoes off? Some, yep. yep. Like I said, you can't get the picture you want. Um that's you would have to like stop traffic in order for that to happen uh, right. for a long period of time, because where you would, where the photographer would have to stand is the most dangerous spot. Cause it's not a crosswalk and you'd literally be in the middle of where like three streets meet. It, it it's, it's a mess. But, um, but so they, the studios actually has a camera, like I said, from the sort of the reverse angle and, uh, and they, they film it 24 hours a day and you can go back through and, find the time that you walked it and kind of scrub through and like, Oh, there's our picture. And then you just download the screenshot and you know, off you go. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, all right. So it, take us inside the studio. Um, it, you know, it's it, the halls and such, it's a weird thing. Cause you're in the middle of a residential neighborhood, which apparently causes them some problems in terms of when they can't record and stuff, but it doesn't look as big as it is. In fact, I knew the kids were going to like walk into studio one, which is this huge, you know, 25 foot, room massive room and wonder how it fit on this you know this tiny little uh, uh you know street front but it just goes way back kind of into the neighborhood uh or mm-hmm. into the houses and so you know, walking the halls it felt like at any other high-end studio and uh and then you walk into these rooms and it's like oh holy cow 
Like, so you posted a picture on Facebook of the piano. Yeah. So that's the Mrs. Mills piano. And I think her name was Gladys Mills, but I might have that wrong. Um, and, and she was a, a you know, famous uh, pianist and that piano was there and it, it has this very distinct sound and, uh, and, obla and di, obla da. it's obla di obla da. Yeah. Without question. I mean, it's Giles just kind of reached over and, and plucked a chord on it and it like instantly that sound jumps <laughs> to mind, you know, and he didn't even play like the, the, the arpeggio or anything, you know, it's just like, Oh, holy cow. And so I, you know, I played a couple of chords on it. It's, it's a really, it's that bright kind of very attacky sound, even in the lower register, like way down, it's still got that, that bright sound. And, and, but it's just sitting there in the studio. It's not like, you know, and he even said, he's like, you know, it's, it's a weird piano, but it, I suppose it's priceless. And I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And he's like, so this is obviously Obla Di Obla Di. He's like other Beatles songs. I'm sure were recorded on. He says, I, I don't think Lady Madonna was, he said, I think there was that piano over there and it was just kind of, you know, buried behind some boxes or, or whatever. And uh, cause it's a working studio, you know, yeah. and, and, so and that's a good he, thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you mentioned that there are a couple of tape machines that are are they used or are they there for for they, vibe? They are. They could be used. He said, you know, sometimes uh, they will use analog, but for the most part, they're using digital these days. Or if they really want that analog sound, they'll run out from digital through the analog, you know, to to get that warmth and then recapture it. Um, but he said, for the most part, no, they're they're doing digital. It's it's too easy. Um, it you know. The sound, what else is there? Are there are there like rare photos on the walls or anything oh, else to see? The walls are filled with photos of all your favorite bands and everyone else's too. Yeah, it's um, it's it's just, you know it's just everywhere you look. It's like oh, there's you know Queen, there's yeah. Oasis, there's this you know yeah yeah yeah. And um, it, it was interesting because Studio One they had already built the stage and put up some curtains and. It didn't. That's the big, big room that that mostly is used for like recording orchestras, right? And um, it didn't sound overly live in there. And and then of course we walked into the control room, which for that studio is on the same level. And and the control room, as it should be, is like super dry. So you you noticed it. And I said to Josh, I'm like, oh okay, I hear it, you know, drier in here now. I said, but it didn't seem that bad out there. And he said, well. That's because there's a stage out there. Both he and Greg were like, that room is a real terror to record in. He said, if you have somebody that doesn't know what they're doing, um, either musicians that don't know what they're doing, composers that don't know what they're doing, or an engineer who doesn't know what they're doing, said it can be a, a mess. And all it takes is, you know, one of those elements to not get it right. And, and it's just a disaster. He said, but when you do it right, I said, you know, it's the still, I think still the biggest studio in the world. Because who, who you, needs a room that big? Right, right, right. Were, uh, were you allowed to take pictures? Yes. And will you share the pictures? Yeah, we put some of them on Facebook. We have a picture of the whole family um, standing in front of the mixing console with, with Studio One behind us. And uh, I took a picture of the Mrs. Mills piano. and, and uh, when, we, when we post this on Facebook, give, share the pictures. I yeah, think I'd, I I'd love to see them all in one place. And okay. Yeah, yeah. It, so I think it's cool. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely do that. Yeah, it was, it was a really special thing. And... Uh, it's interesting because it's this place that's so, I mean, it's, it's church to some of us, yeah. right? You know, it's, it's more than church. It's the church to some of us. But you actually, this was like Dave's Beatles tour of England, right? You went up to Liverpool as well. We did. Yeah. Um, we, we Underwhelming? Figured, um, no, I actually quite like Liverpool. 
um, we, the, the Beatles stuff was fine. We, the, we took a tour, but really it was a tour that was mostly self-guided. It, we, it was, it was sort of a package deal. We bought, it was train tickets. We did a bus tour that they called the magical mystery tour that sort of takes you to the outskirts of Liverpool. So you can see, uh, the various band members houses and, and, you know, different things that are interesting, but otherwise you're basically left to walk around in, in Liverpool by yourself. And so I met uh, a friend of mine and fellow podcaster, Don McAllister, who lives right there in Liverpool. He came and met us in the morning and showed us around Liverpool, not just the Beatles sites, but more than that, he kind of showed us Liverpool and it's a really beautiful city and it's very, very different vibe from, from London. So I'm glad we got, we got to go out there. And, uh, one of the Liverpool, Don is a great guy. That's right. You know, Don. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, and one of the Liverpoolians, uh, it, we went and ate dinner there before we got back on the train to go back. And, uh, and she said she liked my accent, which I uh, thought was just fat, fantastic. So what were the one or two um, unexpected surprises of Beatles stuff? Maybe not even anything that you didn't know, but came to life in a different way. What were the highlights for you? Um, man, I don't know. You know, that there was um, seeing, seeing the Cavern Club was interesting. The, the fact that, the Cavern Club exists in the same location that it always has, but the town or the city of Liverpool in the early 70s uh, decided that they needed to build a vent for either the sewers or the subways or something. And so they they totally tore down the Cavern Club and uh, and, and, and never built the vent. And somebody finally said, this is insane. You know, this club has so much history. And and so they rebuilt the club that the entrance had to move because the old entranceway was just, it, you know, it's a it's a basement club and the old entranceway just wouldn't have held up anymore, I guess. So they they but they took all the old bricks and everything. And as much as they could, they rebuilt the club exactly the same as it was turned 90 degrees. But once you enter the club, it's it's as it would have been back then. Stage size and everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a band, there's bands playing basically from, I think, noon onward every single day. And, and uh, it sounded like they all could do basically whatever they wanted, but they had to play about three Beatles songs an hour, you know, um, or more was fine. But that's it, the rule that there was. Yeah, it was clear that if you were if you went down there, you were going to hear a Beatles song in the Cavern Club. And that was a lot cooler than I expected it to be to just hear some dude with an acoustic guitar, you know, singing a Beatles tune was like, Oh, wait a minute. Okay. This is actually kind of cool. Um, and there's a, there's a Beatles museum there that was really interesting. Uh, it talks a lot about the Beatles as a band, but, but then kind of goes into each of the, the four lives, you know, four band members lives. Um, and that, that was even more interesting than the Beatles stuff, you know, kind of the post Beatles because mm. the Beatles didn't, you know, they weren't a band for all that long. So, right. Right. You know. Right. Yeah, but it was it was fun. It was trip of a lifetime. It was, and that was just the beginning. You know, we had we had um, we enjoyed the rest of London and then Barcelona and Paris as well. It was it was yeah, it was quite something. It was pretty cool. All right, and any chance you you watched any music or or partook in any music or anything? No, in fact, it was weird this morning. I just had to come up and and play the drums um, because I I had not played music for for two weeks and london of the three cities that we were in london was the one where we felt like music was significantly lacking it was a very quiet city now again we were there during the week 
But even like the subways or anything, I'm used to Boston, New York, whatever. And, and also Barcelona and Paris, people performing music, you know, street musicians in the subways. Nothing in London. Zero. Yeah, it was weird. It, it was like I didn't notice it until we got to Liverpool where there were people, you know, playing on the street or whatever. And it was sort of a rainy, dreary day when we were in Liverpool and there were people still people out. And it was a Wednesday. It wasn't like it was, you know, Saturday or something. But uh, but yeah, London, at least, you know, in, in terms of our experience, was a very it was a city lacking just, you know, sort of ubiquitous music. I'm sure we could have found music if we, you know, if we looked for it. But uh, but yeah, it wasn't just there. Well, welcome back. Sounds Thanks, like you had a great trip and uh, fun stories. Thanks. Yeah, I got to process. It's it's weird. Um, it, it seems like that Abbey Road tour was a lifetime ago, and it was really you know two weeks ago tomorrow was when we did that. But we've done so many things since then. And we were talking about it with the kids this morning. We it's like we got to go back through all of our notes and stuff and and process this. And like this is great for me because it's bringing all of it back in a way that it just sort of got tucked away. Um, as much as a tour of Abbey Road could. I mean, it, of all the things that we did on the trip, especially the things early on, that's the one that got tucked away the least because it's, you know, all you, all I have to do is think about it and think, whoa, what an opportunity, you know, <laughs> like, but, um, but yeah, you know, when you're, when you're on vacation, you're doing something every day. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's, we did. So we did see music once. Well, sort of, we saw theater, my kids, we're all theater buffs. You know, I play a lot of theater gigs and, and so I'm interested in it, but my kids are big, big fans of the musical Hamilton. Uh, not at all because we share a last name, but, um, but because they just <laughs> love, they just love the music. And so they, um, because of that, they had become fans of Lin-Manuel Miranda's, uh, prior musical, which was called in the Heights. And it takes place in Brooklyn Heights. And it was playing in London. Now, he wasn't in it. He was actually finishing his run uh, as Alexander Hamilton on Broadway while we were away. But, you know, it was, a, it was the London production of, of In the Heights. So fully mm -hmm. pro production. And we got tickets and, and went and saw it. And we saw it on July 4th. And uh, the kids knew the soundtrack cold uh, because they just obsessively listened to it. But even, you know, you, you listen to soundtracks and sometimes you don't you learn the story. In fact, a lot of times I'll learn a soundtrack for, you know, uh, for, to play a show. And then I get to the rehearsal and it's like, oh, that's the story. Oh, I had no idea, you know. Okay. And the one thing none of us knew walking in was that this play takes place on July 4th weekend in Brooklyn Heights. So it was really kind of an interesting way for us to celebrate, you know, the 4th of July in a way that was somewhat familiar to us because we watched a 4th of July sort of thing take place in, in front of us on the, uh, on the stage there in London. So sort of interesting, Cool, but it was good. All right. It was a very, very good musical. Highly recommend. So um, I've heard it's great. Yeah. Yeah. So um, changing tracks here. I, I want to share, I have this, this week, I uh, a project I've been working on. That's going to hit the stage. So I think we might've talked about it in weeks in the past, but I'm putting together an all-star band yeah. of really great local players. And, and the gig is coming up on Sunday. So, Oh wow. This, okay. So yeah, we started talking about this months ago and now yeah, yeah, yeah. it's happening. It's happening. So I just wanted to share, uh, you know, a couple of reflections of putting this thing together. And the first one is, uh, these things are really good for your music scene. So, um, the excitement that's kind of building and, you know, there's going to be about 16, 17 people participating in different ways, wow. rotating in or whatever it is. And they're all the best of the best from the South Bay area that we live in. And, uh, 
they're excited about it and they're telling their friends and family about it. And so this, and there's going to be 4,000 people there. I mean, this, this concert series already gets a great audience and now you've got these people with these built in fan bases, bringing even more people in. So it's going to be pretty much a capacity crowd. So that's the great. buzz. Yeah. And, and my reflection is the buzz that it creates, um, communities of music lovers really like the idea that musicians get along together. I think the, I don't actually don't know if, a, if the, the act, the music consumer thinks about it that much. I always wonder if they think it's a much more competitive vibe, but at least where I am here and the, certainly the people that I'm playing with, it's a very copacetic, mutually supportive vibe. And that creates a lot of goodwill and reverberates out in the world in a really special way. Well, and e- even if the, um, the music consumer doesn't think of it as, Oh, this is different than the competitive vibe. I thought it is at, at the very least, they get to go and see several of their favorite musicians performing together simultaneously. Yeah. And as much as like you and I would get to g- excited about if there were like our heroes that are, you know, playing in an all-star band, you know, this is not that level of type of thing, but there's a, a, l- a little sense of novelty, but for the people who really care about music in your community, you know, the, the people who go out and see music quite a bit, this is a cool thing. And it, it's taken on, I underestimated how powerful a message it would be for people because the, the love I'm getting back these days, both from uh, music watchers who think it's going to be great and the musicians who are really, you know, these are the best of the best around here and they are genuinely humbled and proud and, and putting in a lot of time and effort to prepare for this thing. So it's a kind of a cool thing, but it does bring me back to the projects that you and I have done with this all-star band, because as I field questions from the musicians about how things are going to work, yeah. I think I have a pretty good, you know, we, we did 12 years of this thing, right? So more than, more than that, I think is I, it more, well, we did 11 Cirque de Max, but the band existed for at least two years before even the first of our own parties, because our parties grew out of the fact that we didn't like the way other people organized their parties that we were playing. Right, 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 right. I mean, it, you know, I mean, it was it, that that's that that makes us sound ungrateful for the gigs. We were very grateful for the gigs and through them learned we want a packed room. You're throwing a different kind of party than we want to play at. So we want to throw a different kind of party. That's all. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm having all these parallels to what we did. And actually, <laughs> I should I should have known because that Mackerel band that we put together meant a lot to people. They yeah. really looked forward to that. Yes. And you, you would have what at its peak, 800 people in this club, right? Yeah, it was almost nine was the was the biggest crowd we had. That's right. Yeah. And people were really into seeing friends that they know. Um uh, playing together like that synergy and, and what was going to come out of that synergy. And, you know, very similarly, all the people in the Macworld band had some notoriety in different ways in the Apple community, not, not music related notoriety necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the, the expectation, how cool it could be kind of took on a life of its own that we were, I remember we were kind of humbled about it. Like we didn't know what was going to be, I mean, you threw the party. And so, and so you were determined to make it a success, but it really did take on a life of its own. own, I was, I was, but the steward of, of this thing that was much bigger than all of us. Yes. Right. And that's kind of what this feels like. And so the interesting thing is, so I've got, you know, like I said, about 16 different people are playing. There's three bass players. They will be rotating in. There's uh, three drummers will be rotating in. Wow. There's three keyboard players. And so I just want to kind of walk through uh, the process that I use. So very much of it is learned lessons from the Macworld Oster Band. So first I, I did the invitations, you know, kind of hand chose the people that I wanted to. 
created a little consternation. Some people wanted to invite other people. And, you know, I was like, no, I got to I got to kind of keep my hands around this. Got it. Yeah. But, that was the worst part of what we did together. Yeah. was was exactly Saying no. that. Saying no. Yeah. 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 So that's where we started is I assembled the band and, and, uh, and, you know, I'm fortunate that the people who said yes really represent exactly who I needed to represent to call it an all-star band. If it would have been a bunch of people that nobody had ever seen before, I'd be a little disingenuous, but we got to a band fairly quickly. A couple people who said yes, had a fallout the next couple of weeks. One guy uh, said yes with full disclosure about what was going on and, you know, claimed I didn't know it was going to be that and, and kind of fell out. Um, so uh, there were a little bit of moving parts that kind of came and went, but I, but after about a month, I had the band sure. sent out an introduction email saying, here's what we're doing. Here's how it's going to go. And, uh, and it pretty much once it, once it locked down about three months ago, it's been, there's been no comings and goings. That's great. Then, wow. That's huge. That's yeah, great. That, yeah. So we had a foundation of, of committed people. So I was going to say, not only is it all stars, but they're pros. If they committed and they stuck to it, they're pros. Yeah, absolutely. Then was the um, notorious song selection process, which, you know, I want to know uh, how this went. Yeah. So how it went was um, the singers got to choose like what we did. Singers got to choose. OK. All right. So you, again, yep. Lessons from from the past. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, we weren't going to have an instrumentalist say, I want person X to sing the song on my behalf. The singers got to choose. Much as we love you, Dwayne, that just doesn't work. <laughs> Hat tip to Dwayne. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's interesting. I would say we have 70% pretty much in the bag, you know, kind of rock and roll fake book type stuff. Yep. And then there are some people who wanted to push the envelope and I was skeptical, but I, you know, said, if you, you know, if you can get, talk to the people who are going to play on this and if you can sell it through, I'm fine. And, um, so there was a little, there's a couple of songs like, where, um, Nick is going to do, uh, living for the city by Stevie wonder. Okay. That's not too not, far out of that. Well, I don't know. Man. Well, <laughs> wait a minute. I'm talking to the guy who, uh, suggested lead boots, right. For, uh, right. Didn't we play lead boots in the, in the all-star band at your request? Freeway Jam. Freeway Jam. That's right. Okay. Yeah. When you combine that with musical heroes on stage together, it reminds me of something I want to tell everybody about, but we can't tell them about it yet. So keep right. keep going. Yeah. Hold on. So we got that. Uh, even it up by heart. Mm. Um, you know, again, there's, there's some finesse to it. It's not three chords and done. There is parts. You know, there's a little bit of a form to it. And there's a couple other songs that are, are going to be interesting. But again, knowing the vibe of how these things kind of come together. I just kind of watched the process, you know, gave people encouragement if they were going to pick something that was a little bit of a stretch to kind of own their destiny on it. Right. Yeah. You know, let them kind of figure it out. Cause this, this is even less than the Macro Dollster man. This is, there are no full band rehearsals for this. We are just taking the stage on this. Oh, wow. So okay. songs, yeah. Songs got locked in about two months ago and, um, some discussion, letting some people talk, Nick from my band, who's going to do this Stevie Wonder song, he really wants this to have some polish to it. And so he got Mary Ellen and Steve together and they worked out full harmony arrangements to every song of the 25 songs that there are that needed full harmony arrangements. They, they took the initiative sure. to get together themselves and, and do a rehearsal. I don't know if other groups have done this type of stuff. I don't think there have been any other specific rehearsals. There may have been one-off type of conversations. So slowly the process of a little polish going on. 
Um, Steve wrote a couple charts. He created a um, Psychotis, my, my acoustic partner. He created a Dropbox with all the MP3s, just like the Macro Ostra band did. And there's some discussion. So I, I have to ask the question. And, and I'm going to let you finish. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So um, then about a month ago, I locked in the set list and the order of songs. And I sent out a spreadsheet that basically has the name of the song, the key, who sings it, which drummer, which bass player, which piano player uh, plays. There are four guitar players and the four guitar players will be on stage the entire time. So uh, and and I'll say Yikes. the interesting. Well, the interesting thing about that is. Everybody is sending me notes saying, all right, I'm going to play very little and just kind of see where this goes, which is a great thing to hear as opposed to, woohoo, let's turn yeah, it up. Right? Let's see, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the guitar players, like I said, they're pros. And so they're coming about this from listen first. I don't know how much woodshedding everybody has done. Mm. I, I believe at least 80% of the people have done some woodshedding. I'd bet kind of like Macworld Ulster Band, 60% have done a lot of woodshedding. And there'll be a couple people who are just kind of watching changes, and that's the way they're going to approach this for the amount of time yep. they will put into it. It won't train wreck, you know, and some people will be a passive part of this process, and some people will be an active part of this process. Steve Psychotos, who we've had in the show, has been a very active part. He's, he's written some charts for things that needed some specific endings mm. and, and form following. Like I said, Nick has been a very active part of this, you know, making sure that there's a harmony part of this. And there have been other kind of passive suggestions, and but I know just sit back because everybody's level of I got this is a very different thing. It's a different thing. Yeah, yeah. Those three words mean mean very different things, even even in different scenarios with the same person, let alone something like this. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. So I, I have some, some very specific questions. I'm assuming all of your drummers are sharing a kit. Like the back line is, is locked, right? You're not <laughs> – yeah. So okay. we had some discussion about whether we should have two drummers or two drum kits. Yep. We're going to have one drum kit and they all have had their discussion. One, one actually, one original drummer dropped out because he couldn't have his kit. Yep. He, he said he wouldn't feel comfortable playing on someone else's kit. Not, not surprising. I, we, really? The last Surprise fling, me. The last, yeah, the last Fling Fest we did, um, the, the, we, we had a band play with us uh, that had not played with us before and they were fantastic. Uh, but their drummer reached out to me about a week in advance and said, Hey, so is there room on stage? You know, like how much time will we have between bands? I'm like, you know, the sound in, in this club is tough. Uh, we're going to need to get the back line in and set it. And then we can't be moving stuff around. So, you know, it's one drum kit and he got, he really, he said, look, I'm just one of those drummers that I'm only comfortable on my own kit. And I thought, well, I'm comfortable not packing my stuff. So, you know, I'll play yours. And he's like, well, my kit's really kind of weird because I've custom fitted all the hardware. So nothing's adjustable. It's like, well, okay. You're not making this easy on me, man. Like, yeah, which, and way, <laughs> which way that, can it that's go? That's actually, I, you know, my point very similar to this is there's some people who, who just in, are not comfortable with the kind of collaborative nature. Like you kind of got to go with it type of thing. Yeah. I have one, one of the guys is like, well, how are the songs going to end? And I'm going to be like, well, you know, we're going to vamp at the end and then I'll, I'll cue the drummer to give us a fill and we end on the one. That's it. And that that's it to me. That's it. And we know that this is work because, you know, for whatever many years we did this, it worked. But it seems to be throwing some people for like, no, no, how's that going to work? Like they just can't conceive they can't, that. They can't fathom that. Well, the good news is they can stop playing earlier. You know, as a, as a very good friend of mine, this guy, Al Havoc, who is a multi-instrumentalist, uh, great drummer, but trombonist and saxophone player primarily these days, 
um, said to me years and years ago when we were playing in high school together, he said, look, man, you always got to remember this. There's only one person on stage that can play an ending and it's the drummer. Yeah. It doesn't matter if anybody else stops playing before you, you can still end the song appropriately at just play an ending. It'll yep. work. And he, and he was right. You know, that's just how it goes. So just yeah, follow it, that. Yeah. You know, it's like I prepare for the lowest common denominator and I'm pleasantly surprised by anything more that happens. Sure. But we will, we will get through it assuming that. And if anything great happens above that, cool. That's, that's a moment that you get to keep. But, you know, I just want to make sure we, we kick off together. We end together. I should say at the, uh, the spreadsheet that I have. So, so name of the tune, key, who sings, who the lineup for the is, you know, who's on each individual instrument yep. and then who starts the song. Yes. Who calls, who has the solo or who calls the solos. Yep. All right. So I have another question. Yeah. Um, having been in, in this scenario or something similar to it. So there's some folks that have clearly put a lot of work into either learning harmonies and such on their own, or even getting together and, and working some harmonies out. how, is how are they going to feel as um, you know, it's time for the harmonies to come and three other people step up and, and turn it into gang vocals every single song. So the, the, those songs that have harmonies, I've informed the singers that this has happened. Okay. So this is another thing. Very similarly, we have two sax players and the sax players are asking, what can we sing on? What can we not? Right. And so a, a dialogue. So the, the whole thing is about don't surprise the person who's following lead. Yeah. You know, right. 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 And, uh, you know, I'm going to pull this up right now. I want to share, you know, I gave all the, I sent out an email today saying, here we go. Here's a load in time. Here's all this type of stuff. But here's the performance tips that I shared. And, you know, maybe you'll have some response to this. So number one, less is more. Lots of musicians on stage. Musical space is a valuable commodity. Respect the space between. Number two, serve the singer. Know your songs well enough to follow the singer. If they go to a bridge instead of a verse, get your ass on that bridge. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that's yeah, you have to decide who the leader is, who is not wrong, regardless of whether they're actually wrong. Right. Number yeah. three, listen. This will help you achieve number one and two. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> number four, follow the leader. I, me, myself, will conduct on stage. Watch me for countins, solos, endings, and direction how to get out of a train wreck. Yeah. Right. So you yeah. serve the singer. But in terms of, you know, if stuff starts going awry amongst others, uh, number five, be quick. If you're rotating in on a song, please do it as quickly as possible to help keep some kind of flow to the show. Always be ready for the next song. And then, of course, have fun. Yeah, that's good. Well, there's number eight. I'll share with the drummers what to do when Paul starts running at you to tackle you. But but that's hey. OK. Hey, hey. Hey. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it sounds like I mean it, it. This will be great. I think you know the the biggest thing that could throw a wrench into your works is if stage sound gets to the point where people can't hear. Yep, that's it. But that's I mean that you know that that's that's always the issue. I mean we could we could devolve every single gig gab into that discussion. Yep, yep. I think that's great, man. I can't wait to hear about it. I wish I could come. I mean, I you know. I know I well, could. Um, it's just I gotta. I can't fly. It's, you're yeah. coming in a couple more weeks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Very cool, man. Very cool. So that's life around here. Well, that's um, that's good. That's good. How long is this gig gonna be? Two hours. Okay. One set. Two sets. Okay. All right. 
right. little chance to regroup if you need to. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was always the question with the all-star band uh, shows was, do we do one set or two? And, um, you know, there's always that, that, that fear of, of losing the momentum if, uh, if you take a break, but sometimes you just have to. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's great, man. My thought on this is it's all about approach and I've spent a lot of time and effort trying to prepare people to get them in the mindset. You know, some people may be hearing me, maybe listening to me, but not hearing me, but it's all about it. There's no rehearsal. So some stuff is going to go screwy. Yep. And you just got to embrace it and, and, uh, and uh, you know, see what happens and enjoy the ride. If you, if you're too tight about it, it's not possible to control 16 busy musicians. No, you know, we wouldn't have been able to rehearse probably anyway uh, as a band. And so how long of a sound check do you get that day? It's only an hour. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So not everybody is going to be able to sound check either. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just going to, it, for, for many of the musicians, it is going to feel like getting up and playing at a jam session where you've pre-decided what it is you're going to play. Yeah. And again, these and are okay. really, yeah, these yeah. are really, really good, very smart players. So as long as they're not too transfixed on exactly what happened on the record, and if something doesn't happen the way you expect it to do, some people that can you know, throw off their their concentration oh, yeah. because in your mind you go to, well, what else is going to happen that I don't expect? But all, it, all of it, That's right. right? So, yeah. so you know, I think if people just relax and listen and enjoy. And if something really weird goes happens, have a little laugh at it. But um, because th- I know this crowd is rooting for everybody. Oh, and, and that's I was just going to say. And and the good news is all the people that you have on stage know that every time they step on stage, the crowd is rooting for them because that's what's happening every time anyone steps on stage is the crowd's rooting for you. Absolutely. And, but it's sometimes it's hard to remember that. You know, if you if you put too much pressure on yourself and some and some pressure on yourself is good. You want to perform and all of that. But you have to remember that the crowd is there to have a good time. They're not. You know, there might be that jerk in the corner that looks a lot like me that's there to judge you. But um, otherwise, everybody's there to have a good time. You know? well, it'll probably be the musicians who didn't get invited. to. Oh, do yeah, this. that's right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They I, I my guess is if they're that if they're so bitter that they would be there to judge, they probably won't show up at all. Uh, let's hope. <laughs> yeah, but they'll be in the minority. It doesn't it doesn't matter. You know, no, I'm really looking forward yeah, to it. And, I think you know, it's great. Yeah. A lot of my, a lot of my friends who are in the band listen to the podcast and you know, it's, uh, this is really cool for me. It, you know, I, I work really hard to try and give back to the musical community. And this is kind of all these people's way of saying, you know, Hey Paul, we appreciate what you do. We'll give you our time, which is really very meaningful to me. So. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Oh, I think it's great, man. I'm, uh, I, I, yeah, like I said, I can't wait to hear how it goes. So. Yep. All right. Well, that wraps up another gig gab as far as I'm concerned. You got anything else to tell them about? No, I'm good, man. There's something else I'd, I wish we could tell them about, but I just haven't gotten the thumbs up yet. So you'll have to watch. So how about this? How about this? Yeah. We know something. We do. Right? And uh, we can't say anything today, but hopefully by next week, when we talk to you about it, it's the thing we're talking about right now that we know something. Yeah, I think so. But watch Facebook because we will. Uh, as soon as we get the thumbs up, we'll we'll say something on Facebook about this because there's some cool stuff happening. Yeah. I, I well, it's cool for a very for the people that care about it being cool, and I think most of the listeners here will at least appreciate it. If not, 
like have a real wow moment like we did. Yeah. So I hate to tease things like that, but you know, it's just how it works when, you, a good run, one when you have a recording schedule. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com is where you can find us, but really just find us on Facebook at, uh, at gig gab podcast. That's a great place for, uh, that's where we can, we can call home together. Absolutely. See you next week. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, bud. 